2, 15 through 17. Just three verses, but really, really good verses. I love the book of 1 John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it sets up a binary. I only have one of two ways I can go. And we'll look at another verse in John that says that no man can serve two masters, right? So I can only choose one. I can either love the world or I can love the things of God. Those can't abide in me at the same time. At least not for very long, right? 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes the way and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Looking at misplaced priorities, the first thing I want to talk to you about, okay, is if we were going to say, okay, these are what priorities for a Christian should be. And if I was to list my priorities, okay, and all of us are Christian in here, what would you say would be the priorities that I should have and try to follow and adhere to? Okay. All right. Yep. So I'm going to put church as a priority. Okay. I worked till three o'clock this morning. Man. And he's here. Amen. So he's, he's putting that into practice. Okay. All right. Good. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put devotion right to God and then I'm going to put this in no particular order for right now. Okay. We can, we can mess with this in just a little bit. Okay. Prayer. Prayer. Okay. All right. Good deal. I'm going to include this in devotion then. Right. So Bible reading and prayer is that, that the strong uniter there. Anybody else? I think you could say practice. So it's not just church on Sunday. It's every day. Living it throughout the week. Okay, all right. That's good. Okay. I like that. Practically living out those things which you say that you believe. Denise? Your relationships. Okay. I don't know what that would be. Gotcha. And obviously inside there we could go in and we could prioritize relationships and those things, right? Yes, sir? Tithing. Okay, all right. So I'm giving to God in, in my tithe. Okay, very good. Now, if we were to look at, well, sorry, give me a couple more because I'll, I, can, I can place these in just one second and I'll show you. We'll wrap it up. They give a, doing a specific service. Okay, so some type of ministry that you're, okay, all right. Okay, whether it's through your local church or whatever, right, you have some place of concentrated service to the Lord. I like that. Kara? Um, instilling Okay, all right. So we're going to put down Christian home, right? Okay, very good. Now, if I was to take these, and, and we could sit here, if I tried to keep driving them out, we could put a, a lot more on here, okay? But here's what we've got, all right? So if I've got my relationships and Christian living, practical living, which carries to the house, what Philip was saying, okay? You've got church, right? And you've got devotion to God, right? I've got tithing, which would be a part of that, okay, whatever. So you basically could boil this down to, okay, that you should put God family okay and then notice what's funny is that no one has yet said but what would be the other tier that you probably would need to have right is work okay very good so to fund all of these things right okay i should put it in that order so basically if we were to condense this list i could condense that list into those three things okay so i have some type of service towards god okay i'm tithing i'd be faithful to my devotions all those things okay everyone would say that my family should definitely be above uh, my work. And so if a, if a job was causing me to 
uh, have rough patches or not be good for my family at all, then I'd probably get out of that, right? I would, I would maybe stop bartending because I realize it has bad implications for my kids later on. Things like that, okay? So here we go. Those three priorities right there. Now, if we were to list other or misplaced priorities, okay, between the world, okay, and uh, the way that they would live, I could put a lot of different stuff up there, okay? So if we were just thinking off the cuff real quick, okay, I could throw money up there, okay? Uh, I could put out there uh, selfish desires, okay? I could put out there a hundred different things. And this is the point, okay? I want you to go over to, um, look with me. Sorry, I wrote it down right on the outside here. Matthew chapter number seven. There it is, Matthew chapter number seven. And this is the point of this verse. Matthew chapter 7 and the verse number 13. There we go. Matthew 7, 13 says this. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few be there which find it. There's two discrepancy words there. We have the word few and narrow, and then we have the word broad and many. So broad and many, few and narrow. These three priorities right here should be the same for every single Christian. You come in here, hey, Brother Jeremy, hey, Pastor, how can I get my life on track? I would say, okay, you need to follow these three priorities right here. In your relationships or whatever else, you put God first, then you put family, and then you put your uh, work in that atmosphere right there. If you were opening up and say, which ways could I go astray? You could go astray in a thousand different ways. Does God really, does, does, does the devil or the world, okay, really care what reason you would take for missing church today. Okay, so you work till 3 a.m. So you slept in because you're tired. You need to catch up on that. Okay, that excuse works. Okay, I talk to people all the time. It's my only day off. Okay, well, that excuse works too. Well, you know, there's a big football game today. We're starting our pregame celebrations at 11 o'clock. Okay, that excuse works too. Any excuse that you have, well, someone's, you know, kind of a little bit under the weather today. And so like, yeah, I'm just, maybe I'm not feeling 100%. And so, you know, forget it. Any excuse will work because broad is the way, right? And many there be that go at it. And so for us as Christians, our, our choices and, and the way that we should live really, really, really narrowed down. And so when we looked at misplaced priorities, just know this. It's a lot easier to live with misplaced priorities because literally you pick what you want to do. If you look at the verse in 1 John Morat, it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's just anything that you want or you desire that takes you off of this straight and narrow path, okay? So we'll go back to 1 John uh, and holding that there. So let's look at this. Um, the world uh, would be, hold on a second here. Oops, sorry, take that slide out right there. This is the first one you're going to write down. Uh, but physical pleasure over spiritual growth. Uh, the definition of the world or the arrangement, the definition of the world that's used there in First John 2 is this. It's an arrangement of a system or values or values that are in opposition to God. So it's how the world would put its priorities versus how we would put our priorities. Now, just know this, that whatever we do with our priorities do have consequences, okay? Go to James chapter number four. We're gonna move around in the Bible a little bit more than normal today. But we'll mostly, yeah, we're gonna stay just in the New Testament here. So James chapter four, and then verse number four. James four, four, it's after the big book of Hebrews. James 4.4 4 says this. 
the adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Watch this last phrase right here really closely. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. A couple years ago, I noticed this and I think it's the biggest point that you can draw out of that last half of the verse there. It says right there, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, okay? A, or one of many friends of the world. If you do that, it says right there that you are the enemy of God. Now that's interesting because the Bible could have clear, if you were, if you were writing contextually uh, um, consistent, you would write whosoever is a friend of the world is a enemy of God. Whoever is the friend of the world is the enemy of God. But it flips us on us there, right? So what's the old adage? Uh, if you're running with a bad crowd, right, hanging out with you or whatever, they hang out with you until the money ends or uh, goes away, dries up, or until you end, in jail, end up in jail, right? Those are not the friends that are going to visit you in jail, right? So classic story. I'm 15 years old, 16 years old, something like that. And uh, there was a family that was coming in off our bus ministry, and they come off for a long time. And my dad says, okay, we're going to go help this family move. Now, I hate moving myself, okay? Uh, and helping somebody else move uh, is, is that much more challenging, right? Um, and I was 15, so I didn't know what to expect. But typically, if you go to somebody's uh, house and uh, if, if you've asked people to come help you move, when they show up at your house, you probably should have started packing uh, before they show up at your house. Uh, this was not the case. For, for a couple of different times, I've helped people move. So we, we showed up, and uh, they were starting to scrounge around to maybe find some boxes. And so that was our first task was to maybe, maybe we could go some places to maybe find some boxes and things like that. So we were trying to look around to, to, to find some boxes. Uh, and then our next task was to maybe help them to go through and sort through uh, what was bad in the kitchen and what we shouldn't take and what was maybe good in the kitchen and things like that. Uh, I was joking with uh, I was joking with uh, Sean and Christina because we went to Sean and Christina's house and man it was it was already in boxes. I, I told Sean I was like this has never happened to me before. I mean I can help you move. We can be out here in thirty minutes and uh, it was all nice. And Christina had it all marked and she wrote you know this is for the kitchen. This is fragile and different things like that. And I and just like a good UPS worker I took the fragile box and I just put it with all of the other boxes where you should have and stuff. And uh, so we started to pack, uh, help this other family pack up. And they said this. They said, man, this is so weird. Because there were three of us that showed up from the church. They said, it's so weird. Like, we had a bunch of our friends that were, they were supposed to come and show up and things like that. Their family wasn't in church, just the kids. We were getting picked up on the bus. They were supposed to come, you know, but they just kind of bailed. Or I don't know where they're at. I'm sure that they're coming. And 15-year-old myself even knew then. I'm sure they're not coming. Uh, these are not going to be their friends. Your party friends are not going to be the friends that help you move. And so there's a difference between being a friend of the world. doesn't really care about you that much. And as soon as it's done, they suck the life out of you or whatever else, you know, you're done. Um, but you want to be the friend of God. The Bible says of Abraham that he was the friend of God, not a friend of God. So God takes your relationship with him very, very, very personally. And you are either the friend of God or you are the enemy of God. And I know this, I would rather be on terms where I am the friend of God, like Abraham, right? Instead of set in opposition to uh, him and what he's trying to do. So here we go. What are some ways that people... Those who are not doing right priorities choose physical pleasure over spiritual growth. The first thing that we'll look at here is in sexual exploitations. Man, if you look at the world, um, you, can, you can hardly watch anything without it going here right away, right? You can hardly uh, be around anything. It's, it's amazing just 
how young and young and younger and younger they want to uh, teach this in schools to kids and things like that. I'm, I'm old-fashioned. I believe that this is a job of the parent, right, uh, to, to talk to their kids. But they're going to make it to where they, they want to train them in this. And then you have to go and say, I don't want my kid to watch that. They're going to fight you on it. And it's going to be mandatory really quick. And uh, they're always they're, they're pushing to bulldoze over the rights of a parent to know or maybe be involved in what their kid takes on. And so we have some hard choices coming up uh, in where we put our kids because of the world pushing on this. Next right here is music, is music. At some point, it would be good for me to take a sidebar and do at least 10 or 15 minutes in class just on the dangers of music and everything. But I think that even for adults, and we, we talk about this, we preach this with, with teenagers a lot, but kids don't, kids can't mask things as well. But I can tell you this from personal experience and working with kids for quite a while. When I'm leading the song service on Sunday night, I can look out at every teenager in the room and tell you, I guarantee you with 90% accuracy, whether they listen to the right kind of music or the wrong kind of music. If they listen to the wrong kind of music, they are very, very, very slow, begrudging, or not involved at all in the song service of praising the Lord. They stand there, hands in pocket, look around, just mutter or whatever else. And so... It's always a, a, a giveaway sign, okay, well, this person has their heart in the wrong place with music. Dick's worked with teens before. Am I right or am I wrong on that, right? You can ask for the market works with teens all the time. And so I think we talk, we talk, we preach about it to teenagers a lot. Anytime they go to a camp, I guarantee you one of those sermons is on music. And there's a reason why every youth speaker I've ever heard in my entire life will spend one of their full sermons just about on music because it is very, very powerful and it reaches into the soul, into the emotions, into the feelings, and all of those things. Now, I think that sometimes we can be guilty of pushing or, or of communicating that a lot with teenagers, but not communicating that with adults at all. And listen, I realize that you love the Eagles from the 70s or uh, whatever other groups I cannot name whatsoever. Uh, I am that guy that cannot name uh, groups whatsoever. And if I would try, I would just I would just botch them up really bad. Sometimes when I preach in high school chapel, they look at me and they're like, you know, I think you have to be 28 years old to, to know any of my musical references and things like that. And so they don't. And they have no idea uh, who I'm talking about. And so I'm not going to attempt those things. But I will tell you this. That the messaging of the music that you listen to, if it doesn't line up or it doesn't honor Christ, then I promise you that that affects your spirit and it drains your spirituality, okay? And it's hurting you. And I realized, man, well, I just really love country. I just re I realized that you really love all of those things. But I think it's time we step back and say, okay, are those things good for my spirit and good for spirituality or not? Now, let me give you a quick thing that, I'll, I'll, uh, that I would tell kids, okay? If you're trying to, because people ask me this all the time, someone in our class was just asking me last month, they said, okay, you know what? I'm starting to get convicted about my music. And what's interesting is, here's how I know it's wrong. I've not talked about music in this class forever. Pastor, not preaching on it forever, okay? This person got into class. Don't have a stroke back there. I'm sorry about that light. Um, this person got into church a couple of months ago. They've been growing very rapidly though. Just with an open heart, just a tender heart, wanting to get right with God. They came to me and said, hey, I think this music I'm listening to is probably hindering me. How did they know right away about that? 
if they're really open, they want to learn or whatever else. The Holy Spirit was talking to them, right? And so there's something powerful about that. So he, they, they knew, they were listening, one day they stopped, they started listening to the lyrics. They're like, well, man, that messaging doesn't line up with the messaging of Christ at all. In fact, it's not even neutral. It's actually very harmful. And so they knew that they needed to give up right away. So they said, what do I need to do? Here's what I think that you need to do. If you're wondering whether or not the music that I have is affecting me in a bad way or not, what I would tell you to do right away is number one, go on a music fast. And here's why. If you're trying to get off something, let's say sweets, or you're trying to reduce, what you need to do is pull it all out, reset those taste buds, right? And then when you start to go back to listen to stuff, all of a sudden you realize, man, well, that's really not so good for me. So I want you to spend 30 days where you don't listen to music at all. Now, you're an adult. If you're 17 years old, you can't, listen, you can't go for more than five minutes without listening to music, okay? And I think that there's something that Satan's onto with always having a culture that's plugged into earbuds, not interacting with people, not listening to the Spirit of God, and always having something cranked into them all the time. There's some people, as soon as they get into their car, as soon as they start it up, boom, it's already on volume 48. And that's just the way that they live all the time. So what I would say is go on a music fast. I'm not going to listen to music for 30 days. Jeremy, you're crazy. What would I listen to? Simple. I would listen to preaching, all right? I would listen to sermons. I would listen to something that I know is edifying or godly. Maybe I'd listen to some books uh, on, on uh, CD or my phone or whatever else. Um, there's a lot of different podcasts on your phone that you can listen to that are, that are preaching things from our church and other churches, okay? And so you take 30 minute, 30 days where I'm not going to listen to music whatsoever. Then I'm going to say, okay, Lord, lead me as now I start to integrate things back in and I want to see what is pleasing, what is right, and what is not right. And you're going to find that God can lead you. But a lot of times we're too attached to our things in order to make a good decision on it. Okay, does that make sense? And so if you're wanting to pursue a better relationship with God in your music, that's what I would say for you to do. Now, I say all that one because this one up here comes up next fast here. Overindulgence in food and overindulgence in food. What? Physical, physical pleasure over spiritual growth. Now, make sure. I know. Too soon. Too soon. pastor preached. He says, don't worry about stuff like that. He said this on Wednesday night. I was there. You were on Wednesday night. He said, you want to have a Big Mac? Have a Big Mac. I said, or two. Amen. Now, what I want you to do with this is okay, look, Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning, okay, start listening to this. Because on Tuesday night, I want you to come to our Valentine dinner. It's going to be at Golden Crowd. It's going to be really, really good, okay? And they have a whole buffet there. You can eat as much as you possibly want to, okay? But uh, overindulgence in food, okay? One thing I'll write beside this, okay, that I think that, that just starts, that we start even little, 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 little kids on in America is just portion control. That's all that you'd have to write down at that is that I remember my mom telling me when I was little, she's like, you've got to give your, your stomach time to catch up to tell your brain when it's full. And you can't do that if, if you have two forks going at the same time. And so portion control is a good thing. Next year, alcohol and drugs, alcohol and drugs. One way that we're choosing physical uh, pleasure over spiritual uh, growth is alcohol and drugs. Um, I don't think that we need to harp on this for long because I believe that we, we something we realize is wrong. But the Bible says in Ephesians 8 or Ephesians 5, 18. And be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says there, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, there's two choices that I have. Either I can be filled or I can be controlled by alcohol, or I can be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Those two things can't live in concert, right? The Holy Spirit would not want you to drive recklessly and pick up a DWI. So either you're being controlled by alcohol, you're being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, okay? And I believe, and I don't care if it's old-fashioned, I realize that there's a move to churches 
to try to push and try to include into the realm of what they successfully teach social drinking. But I think when you go to the Bible that it condemns all drinking 100% whatsoever. So that's where we stand. That's where we stand as a church. That's where I stand. And so I think that it, it has no place in the refrigerator, the drawers, or the containers of Christians, period. Okay? Alcohol and drugs. Let's look at this one right here. Possession over the soul. Possessions over the soul. Uh, Mark 8.36, great verse. If we don't have it written down there, you can write this down. Mark 8.36. Yeah, I don't. Write this out next to that. You can look at it in a bit. Mark 8.36, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man if he gain, if he lose the whole, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Um, right here, first off, this person loves materialism. He loves materialism. Matthew chapter number... Uh, six talks about this. Matthew chapter number six. He loves materialism. And then also, after a love for materialism, he starts to serve materialism. The Bible says there, no man can serve two masters, for else he will either hold to the one and hate the other, or he will hate the one and love the other. No man can serve God and mammon, okay? I want to show you something that you might that might not be the first point that we think about this, though, okay? But... Mark 8.36, I love this verse. I wish I had time to go into it, but I messed myself up earlier. But it says this, What shall profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Okay? This means in pursuing something, we need to be careful that along the way, we don't lose good things in the pursuit of another good thing. Let's, let's put this right here, okay? The Bible says that we should all strive, okay, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, this would be the perfect will of God in our lives. All of us want to strive to head towards this, okay? That should be our pursuit. However, we can lose things along the way. I want to give you a scenario because it came up uh, recently. But let's say that you and your wife got married, okay, before either before you knew Christ, before you were saved, or before you were both strongly planted in church. When that happens, nine times out of ten, one of the spouses, okay, is here in their spiritual walk. And one of the spouses is here. They're not on the same plane. Now, this is why we teach and we have teenagers or kids from here on up. We would teach them. I teach this in my Bible class to juniors and seniors. You don't want to be unequally yoked. That, do, that means that a saved person shouldn't marry an unsaved person, okay, knowingly, because you have problems. You want to do the things of, the, of Christ. They'll want to do the things of the world because a natural man can't receive spiritual things. But also, unequally yoked could also be that this person has a great desire for God. And they're on fire. They want to serve God with their life and point their family that way. This person's saved, but they're not really there. They don't really have that desire. They kind of want a presence of God. They want a good spouse who, who won't, you know, whatever, uh, do bad things, but be good to them or whatever, but they're not really, they don't really have a heart for God, okay? So whenever you find yourself in this position, okay, you're both saved, but you're not on the same level. Here's the problem. I, you can't get divorced, right? Because we know that the Bible says that those people should stay together. And so if someone has a spouse that's not quite there yet, yes, you need to pursue the high calling of God, but you might need to pursue it at a slower speed than you want to pursue it. Because you could reach the high calling of God, in other words, grow a lot spiritually yourself, but in the process, you could lose your own family. You say, that would never happen. I could give you examples of that happening again and again and again over 30 years of this church. Someone pushed very, 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 very hard, and they overran the desire of their spouse. Now, this spouse 
can elevate. Let's say, for example, you want to pursue God at 50 miles an hour, okay? They want to pursue God right now at residential speeds, okay? What should be residential speeds, guys? 25 miles an hour, okay? There's two things that you can do. You can pray, and you can set a good example for this person. But you might have to say, okay, I want to pursue God with all of my heart. However, I still want to have a family when I reach the the finish line, okay? So I might have to back that down just a little bit, be a little bit more understanding, a little more patient, okay? And cautionary on this right here, because I really love this person that God gave me to spend the rest of my life with. I really love my family, but we all want to pursue the high calling of God together. Be careful in that because I talk to people a lot that they're very excited about it and they're getting very frustrated with the spouse. They think that they're right to get frustrated with the spouse because after all, I really want the things of God. They don't really want the things of God. But no matter what, you're not right in being frustrated with the spouse because that is the person that God gave you to be with forever. You might not go as far as you want to, but there are some lasting effects sometimes when two people got married without being saved or out of the will of God, that you might not be able to run at the speed that you want to. However, you can increase your speed through prayer, through being a good example to that person, through being patient with that person. But we need to be careful because you can reach the finish line and look around and be the only one standing at the finish line. And did you really win? That's why the Bible says that you might gain the whole world. You might gain exactly that goal that you wanted, but you can lose some very important things along the way. So if you're, not, if you're in, a, in a broken home situation or, or a, a, a home that comes together, uh, what do they call that? Uh, blended, blended family or whatever else, you might need to be careful because not every person in that family has that desire for God. Your first mission is to love that person and you can love them and pray for them into them having a better heart with God as you pursue God yourself. And sometimes you gotta remind yourself, okay, I gotta be patient in that, okay? I've talked to some of you, I know you're in a blended family situation, you're a little bit frustrated because you wanna go for God, and I love that. But remember, God gave you that family, okay? And you also have a priority in that as well. And then lastly, we'll look at this with just a couple of minutes left. Position over people. If we choose position over people. And I'll give this to you because I just lost my screen there. Um, A right there, they live a life of vanity. The word is vanity. If you choose a position uh, position over people, they lose. They live a life of vanity. Obviously, this is more for guys than for ladies, but sometimes guys, um, let's be honest, you probably could have made more money, maybe gone farther in your company and all those other things if you decided to be a single guy all the rest of your days. However, you decided to have a family, and that was the right and the godly choice. But just know this then, and that means that you are in a spot where you need to choose people over a position. There's an interesting thing um, in the Bible in the Old Testament. I'm going to forget which person, maybe Brandon could remind me, but uh, I believe that it was, um, anyways, they were, they were moving somewhere. I, I, I believe it was Abraham, but he, he was telling them, okay, we need to head to this place really quick. And they said, look, we're going to go there, but we're going to go at a slower pace because we can't outrun the women, the children, and the flocks. In other words, we could drive them really, really, really hard, and those little kids can get there, but they're going to be exhausted. They might faint along the way. And so we're going to go the right direction, but we're not going to go 50 miles an hour. We're going to go 25 miles an hour and just plod along, but we're going to consistently do right, and we're going to stay headed in the right direction. Guys, we need to make sure that we're pursuing things that will take our family with us and not take us away from that family. Last point B. Ultimately, they live a life of disappointment. Ultimately, they live a life of disappointment. 
disappointment. It's interesting, when this guy was younger, there was a guy who you know, you'll know well. And he was quoted uh, in talking about uh, his church, uh, or two people at his church. He said, it's, it's wrong to assume that men of immense wealth are always happy. This guy later on, he comes to the end of his life, and at this point he was the richest man in the world. To account for um, today's modernization of his wealth, he would still be in the top five of the richest people that have ever lived. And he was continuing going on, and a reporter came to him and said, you're very, very old, obviously, and, and you know the, the end might be near for you. And uh, let me ask you a question. How much money is enough money? And this guy that was worth any more than, than any person in the entire world said, just a little bit more. This guy had everything he possibly could want. His name was John D. Rockefeller. But he died wanting just a little bit more. And guys, sometimes our, our career goals are good, but we have to realize that the most important thing that we could do as we stand before God one day is present a family that loves God, that has walked in his will, and a family that's pursuing the high calling of God. Not your net worth, because that won't matter in eternity. Pursue it. It's good to have. It's good to give your family in good position, but make sure that as we go along the way that we keep the most important things as our top priorities that would be God, and then our family, and then any work endeavors that we have.